right, all right. Welcome back. This is the Plus Money Pod. Thank you for clicking. Don't forget to like, subscribe, retweet. Help this family grow. It's been a minute since we dropped our last episode. A lot has happened since then. I believe it was sometime around week three of NFL. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers winning their World Series. Putting those demons away with the Nelson Cruz missed fly ball in the World Series versus the Cardinals. This team lost 100-something games last, like a year or two ago, and went out and signed Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. Get this thing rolling with a bunch of prospects and youth players. Making some moves on the pitching staff this year. They were plus 500 to win their division. I was kind of on them early on. They posed a lot of value, just what you were seeing with the lineup and then DeGrom. But then DeGrom goes down and they still do it. They still put it together. So it was kind of unbelievable season. I feel like the World Series was the the ALCS was the World Series. Like, come on, let's... That was it right there. Houston versus Texas. That was a sick in-state rival duel. And Garcia had the last laugh with that grand slam and walking around the bases in Houston <laughs> after all that drama. So it was pretty electrifying. And then how about signing Jacob DeGrom to like $500 million or whatever the fuck it was and then he doesn't even throw a ball for you in October? It's pretty astonishing as well. Funny how that shit works out, right? You go and make this crazy-ass move. So now it's like they get this guy in this free agency. (laughs) It's like they added him to the World Series team. So I don't expect him to really make many moves either. So it was pretty cool. Um, Baseball in a nutshell, Shohei Otani. I hope he's on the move. If he resigns, he's never going to resign with the Angels. I think the Dodgers are plus of 100 to land him. They're the shortest shot on the list, which makes sense. He doesn't have to leave Cali. He can stay there, just go from red uniform to blue uniform. He's got Freddie Freeman would probably be backing him up in that lineup. Mookie Betts in front of him somewhere. So the Dodgers are a good fit. The Giants are in need or kind of in desperate need of a superstar. And what's crazy is they already have a pitching staff. Logan Webb was third in the Cy Young voting in the NL. Spencer Strider didn't even make the cut. Blake Snell, congratulations if you're holding one of those tickets. Zach Gallen of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Deservedly so, in my opinion, to be on the list. And then Logan Webb, third. No Justice Steele. No Spencer Strider with beautiful numbers all the way around with that ERA. He kind of reminds me of a younger Justin Verlander. Earlier in his career, JV would have like these 10 strikeout games dominating, but he would give up three, four runs, maybe two by the long ball because he's applying all of the power with his fastball. And some batters would just get a hold of one and just send it out the park. So they'll be back as well, the Braves, with Strider. Um... Yeah, so truly good season in the MLB. Very interested to see where Shohei goes. I know Yankee fans are wishful thinking as as well. He already said he doesn't like pitching in that ballpark because it'd probably really inflate his numbers as a pitcher just pitching there. I'm sure he would hit 70 bombs, but something about being a Yankee I don't think he likes. And then you got Cashman doing doing his dance with the media and shit and saying, oh, yeah, we're good. We're a good team and this and that. How about you go get a pitcher 
to fucking help Garrett Cole out. Bolster the staff. You know what I mean? So they're they're all up in arms as a New York Yankee fan. If you're a Yankee fan, I'm not, but I just I can definitely see their frustration. Like, geez, man, can't you guys see what the glaring holes are? Um Yeah, so the show. You got the Mets too. The Mets got a lot of cash. You just don't know how much they're willing to splash around. Money talks in baseball, so that's interesting to see as we wrap up the MLB season. NBA has tipped off. The gridiron is in week 10. We'll dive into that. A little bit of AFC, NFC, Coach of the Year, MVP odds. The puck is dropped on the pond. We'll chime in a little bit about NHL and a couple things that I noticed earlier about a couple teams. Champions League has pushed into the late stages of the group stage. And also college football rankings have been popping off. And it's it's a, such an unbelievable year in college football. I think pff, if you talk to five people, four of them probably give you a different team to win a national championship. So we'll dive all into that. Thanks for joining again. Plus Money Pod. Yep. All right, so let's dive into a couple things. Tyson Fury versus Francis Naganya. Heavyweight battle of the beasts, they called it. And Tyson Fury took this exhibition fight in the middle of training for a heavyweight rematch with Usyk. And let me just say, he didn't look like he was in peak boxing form. Tyson Fury. He looked like he was in mid-training and kind of thought that this was going to be a sparring thing. That's what I that's how I take it. And Francis, you know, put on a little bit of a display. He showed that he could probably hang in the heavyweight division if given the proper training. I'm ready to see this guy fight with some of the heavyweights right off rip, honestly, and more more of a a bigger, you know, a bigger setting. I think definitely Tyson felt his power. But if you really watched it, the jab is such a critical punch for a boxer versus a lesser opponent. And Tyson Fury outlanded him 60 to like 30. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Can Francis hang in the heavyweight division in boxing? I think he could. I think he definitely could if he was given more of an opportunity. So that's all I'm going to really say about that as we gear up for some good MMA cards coming up in the UFC with Alex Pereira and uh, some decent boxing matches coming up too. Let's dive into the NFL in a nutshell. If you think about who the best teams of the NFL are, honestly, I got a power rate to Philadelphia Eagles number one. They just find ways to win the games. Jalen Hurts continues to shine in late second halves. Besides the game versus the Jets, this team could be 10-0. They really shattered the Cowboys' chances of winning this division by beating them. And the Cowboys are a team that I much think of like Miami, that they can't beat a winning team. 
And it's frustrating if if you thought that the Cowboys could actually come through or do anything. One thing I will say, Philly is kind of getting a little bit hit by the injury bug. Jalen Hurts seems to be limping. N'Kobe Dean, linebacker, out for the year now. Breaking news that I just read maybe an hour or two ago. And then Dallas go dirt, fractures his forearm, star tight end. He's probably going to be back maybe by the wild card. So they're definitely hitting the injury bug, and that might derail them just a tad. But 9-1 and one to start. I'm going to power rate them number one with a beautiful O-line. The D-line is a sound Reddick was just flying around versus Dallas. And they just keep finding ways to win games. And nobody else in the NFL is really coming up to par like on a consistent basis, in my opinion. Kansas City, I'll still leave at number two, but there's something to be said about this offense. Got to go to somebody other than Kels. They can't stretch the field. Nobody's going deep. Teams are rev- keeping everything in front of them, and they're really relying on this defense and the defensive pressure that they're getting to win games. A lot of their games hit the under. We think there's some type of offense or juggernaut, but they're really not... They don't cover many spreads. But also, the Chiefs in every game used to be like minus seven, minus nine. And now we're seeing a lot more minus threes, minus three and a half out of the Chiefs games. So that's something that the books are definitely noting, just coming to a consensus that they're playing lower scoring unders, relying on their defense. But is that enough to beat uh, Joe Cool? And Jamar Chase offense that's going to be putting up points. Or Lamar Jackson in January that's running down in the red zone a lot. It's going to be tough. You can't just keep relying on Patrick Mahomes. And Travis Kelsey's like 30-something, 35 years old now or some shit. So that's something to note. Definitely we're going to see a a transition era here for the Kansas City Chiefs soon. I still keep him at two just because the best quarterback in the game is on that's the most important position and he can win you games on your own. He's just magnificent. Um, Three, Ravens flock. Baltimore fully healthy, running the offense. OBJ starting to make some plays. A Flowers emerging. Mark Andrews, offensive line. They have four running backs if you count Lamar Jackson. And now with Keaton Mitchell emerging, nine carries and a buck 20-something yards. Granted, the Seahawks were gave up in that game, but he's still running for 100 yards in the NFL game. I don't give a fuck. They got Justice Hill, Gus Edwards. Needless to say, the defense has been playing fucking outstanding. Lamar is 19 and like one versus the NFC in his whole career, straight up. And they held the Lions and the Seahawks to almost like 10 points. So kudos to Ravens. Are they peaking too high? Maybe we'll see that division is absolutely absurd. They're six and two, and everybody below them is fucking five and three. The AFC North is stacked. And now Joe Cool looks like he's fully healthy, and they're last in the division at five and three. But they're coming off back to back wins. Huge wins. If that against Buffalo and San Fran? The fuck? And I don't want to say. Well, you know, I do want to say Joe Burrow's the man because earlier in the year when he said, you know, I have to play in that one game, I think it was against the Rams, he won the game and it was like 13 to 7, but they won and he didn't get hurt more. But that's turning out to be a huge win as you look at their record because if they didn't get that win, 
they're looking at a shittier record and they're behind the eight ball. So Joe Burrow is fully healthy. The offense is clicking. The defensive line, kudos to that too, is playing outstanding for the Bengals. And then you got the Browns, the Steelers, all at five and three. So the AFC is just loaded, and the Ravens are going to have their hands full just closing out the division overall, I think. Um, Lions taking a firm grip on the NFC North, six and two. But they're going to get some threat here from Josh Dobbs. You know, Minnesota four and four, but now they're five and four. They're kind of right there. And Josh Dobbs is going to give Minnesota a different element, I think, than Kirk Cousins. Yes, he's going to turn the ball over. Yes, his arm strength will probably not be as good as Kirk Cousins. But the running ability and leadership, and once he kind of gets the the knowledge of the system under Coach O'Connell, I think Minnesota is a weird little team to watch out for. But the Lions as well, they've been probably one of the most team the best team to execute week in and week out the Detroit Lions on both sides of the ball and on special teams and that's going to go a long way and they are built to win that division and I think they will but ultimately they're going to they're going to face a challenge from Josh Dobbs 100% and the season is still young we're only in week 10 there's still seven to go and between all the injuries that happened prior and are still to come shit changes fast Shit changes fast. Something's up with Buffalo. I can't put my finger on what it is. Actually, I probably can. It's the inability of the head coach to control his stars. And I think that's what it's been for a while. And the one time that they were under control, quote-unquote, is when Brian Dayball was offensive coordinator and he was letting, not letting, he was controlling Josh Allen, made him a better quarterback, exploded him as far as his running ability, his passing ability, extending plays. And ever since Dayball left and went to the Giants, shit's definitely changed for the Bills. He's been more erratic, trying to do too much, running and not sliding, taking more hits, yada, yada, yada. And that leads to fumbles, bad decisions, extended the play, tipped passes, interceptions. And that's what we've been, we've been seeing out of Josh Allen, especially on the road. On home, at home, he's a different quarterback. Offense aside, this team got defensive issues big time. Without Matt Milano, they're fucked. Clearly, they're fucked. They can't match up over the middle. He, the run-stopping ability has shrunk, and the defensive pressure on the quarterback that they were getting when Von Miller was healthier, younger, faster, it seems to be, you know, they made a trade for Rasul Douglas from Green Bay, getting him over, because their best cornerback, Tadarius White, if I mispronounced his name, sorry, he got hurt. You know, and their division's a lot better. Their division's a lot better, too. They got Miami to worry about. But the only thing about Miami is they haven't beat a winning team since week three of last season. With all of that offense, putting up 70 points on the shitty-ass Broncos, all of the dynamic run plays and the, the outside sweeps with Moster and A-Chain and Tyreek Hill and his 2,000 yards, they have not beat a winning team 
above 500 since week three of last season. So that just tells me that you're just smashing shitty-ass squads. They can't compete with your talent. But when you go up against a more physical, equal team, you're kind of outmatched, out-schemed, out-physicaled, one or two turnovers, and you're done. And that's that's what Miami's just been running into over and over. Um, so I don't really think of them as much of a threat, but somebody's got to win the division. And you know you can score on Buffalo. So <sighs> I don't think there's going to be much coming from, from that side of the ball. I think there's really only three contenders in the AFC when you look at it. The Ravens, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't see really anybody else that's going to be a perennial Super Bowl contender later in the year. And on the NFC side, there might be only three on that side too. The Eagles, when healthy, if healthy. The Niners. And they have a bunch, I got a bunch of question marks about the Niners too. Brock Purdy, ever since he's got those concussions, throwing interceptions late in the fourth quarter, turning the ball over. The offense has just been all reliant on Christian McCaffrey. They've had a lot of injuries. Losing to the Browns. Losing to Joe Cool. Coming, he comes into Candlestick and just lights them the fuck up. So the bye week was much needed for that ball club, but... You know win right, win healthy. The best running scheme, Mike Shanahan, can get the job done. They're definitely a contender with that defense. And they just added Chase Young, which I don't really rate high. I feel like Montez Sweat was the guy that you really wanted. And the Bears bought him, gave him a four-year extension. Why didn't the Niners give Chase Young an extension if they believe in him so much? Because he's really not that sweet, in my opinion. But that defense is definitely going to keep the Niners in the NFC contention. And third on the list, I believe, is the Lions. Because like I said earlier, they execute better than every team in the NFL week in and week out. Number one offensive line. And on pro football focus rating. And a beautiful run-stopping team. Which... Transitions into wins for the most part. So I, I like I liked the Lions' chances to making a really deep run. They might get their first home playoff game since I've been alive. And if you know me, you know I'm from Michigan. You know I'm a Lions fan. I'm trying not to be biased about it. I'm just watching football. And they made a lot of moves. Unbelievable draft. Rookies make an impact. They're in a really good spot to win their division. So, leading that into a lot of these guys that make it to the playoffs, let's say those six teams that I just threw out there, then you got the wild card teams, and somebody's going to win coach of the year. And there's some sneaky, sneaky plays that I think I like. One being D'Amico Ryans, head coach of the Texans. At plus 550 on DraftKings, I've seen it. With the rookie quarterback and revamping that defense. 
he's doing some wonderful shit. And they have a chance to actually make a wild card in that division. If the Jags do win it, they might be there. Obviously, they're going to be battling teams like the Chargers and the Jets and the Bills um, and the whole AFC North for the wild card. But Houston has an offense and a quarterback, and their defense earlier in the year was playing great. But they kind of fell off a little bit, and but C.J. Stroud has picked up the baton, throwing for fuck four hundred something yards and X amount of touchdowns that he that he that he threw for the other day against the Buccaneers. So, D'Amico Ryan's at plus five fifty, former Houston Texan, so he's got a little bit of culture with the club. I like him as a play, but another one that I like is another dude in the same division that's not too far off of Houston record wise, and. That's Shane Steichen. He's plus 3,500 to win the award. And the Colts are a sneaky fucking team. You know, they're right there at 4-4, four and four, I believe. He lost the starting quarterback, got him back, loses him again, won a game with Minshew in Baltimore, of all teams. He did catch them on an injury. That knocked me out the fucking survivor. I'm still mad about that. The one game that knocked me out the survivor, I took Baltimore against the Colts. When they were kind of beat up and it was a bad pick just because injuries. And that's why the NFL is any given fucking Sunday. Because you have to monitor injuries. You have to monitor weather. Road, travel, spots. You got to monitor spots in the NFL. And that was a bad spot. So Shane Steichen is another guy I'm looking at for coach of the year. Plus 3,500. That's incredible value. If they could sneak into a wild card spot... They rely on the two running backs that they have. Michael Pittman, Downs. The only thing that's holding them back is every single game, they give up like 24 points, 25 points. Except last time against the Panthers. They actually had some pick sixes and this and that, so it might have revamped up the defense a little bit. But they give up a lot of points. But I think that's value. For Shane Steichen there. If he can get Gardner Minshew into the playoffs. 3,500. And how about MVP? I'm so tired of the quarterback narrative of this award. But also it seems like every five years or so. A non-quarterback wins it. And it's always a running back. I'm going to make a case for Kishner McCaffrey. I got a ticket at him, on him at plus 2,000. And... Isn't he the most valuable fucking player on that offense, if you think about it? Sam Darnold can walk right in and hand the ball off to the fucking guy, and he's scoring touchdowns. He went for a streak of like 18 games in a row scoring a tutty. He's probably been the best weapon in the NFL the last four to five years outside of him and maybe Tyreek Hill. Catching the ball, running the ball, screens, lining up in the slot, catching the slant. The guy is an absolute fucking beast. And I think it's time we start recognizing him as maybe the best player in the NFL besides Patrick Mahomes. And maybe a couple guys on defense if you're a real defensive lover like, you know, TJ Watts of the world and Miles Garrett of the world. You know, you throw him up there, sure. But if you want to talk about offensive weapon, this guy, he deserves a little bit more recognition than that. Especially in a year that quarterbacks aren't thriving. Every fucking game that we're getting is 40 to 40. Primetime unders are hitting at a historic rate 
80% or higher or some shit. 60%, let's say. If you bet every under in the NFL, you're going to be profitable. Especially on prime time. It's like 22-7 and seven on the season, record-wise. And why is that? Because quarterback play sucks. And no quarterback right now is definitively leading for the NBP award. Sure, Lamar Jackson is having a fantastic season. And he's fucking decimating teams in the red zone with his skill, his speed. And if there's anybody that I would really give it to, if the season ended today, it would probably be him again. And actually, I think second on the list would be Joe Burrow. Coming back from the calf, playing through that. And winning these games, if he can get this team to the playoffs or finish the second half as like one of the best quarterbacks, he's definitely going to take the award. But I want to sprinkle a little bit on McCaffrey just because none of these guys are really running away with it. You got Josh Allen on metrics and this and that. Yeah, his numbers. But he also got like 10 interceptions. And they're losing games. And they're losing games in dumb ways. And I don't like that when when you want to talk about MVP. I think McCaffrey is definitely worth a look. It's I'm just tired of having it be in a, such a quarterback narrative award. I even think some defensive ends, if you're on a really good team, like let's say the Browns end up winning that division, and Miles Garrett has twenty something plus sacks. Can he? Why you know like why couldn't he win the award? At plus two thousand, I thought it was value. It's at plus fifteen hundred now, but. That's where I'm at in the NFL in a nutshell. And these low totals, it comes from college. I've never seen more quarterbacks get drafted with stature of like a Bryce Young, a Baker Mayfield, a Kyler Murray, somebody like that. The only guy to really do it consistently and at a very high level was Drew Brees. But then again, you know, Drew Brees, he landed in the perfect fit with an offensive-minded juggernaut in Sean Payton. And they catered an offense to his needs, and he got rid of the ball quick, and he was really fucking accurate with the ball. And they had good screen games and this and that. So they really catered to Drew Brees, and he was a really good mental in, in, in between the ears. He knew what defenses were running. But when you get these guys like Kyler and uh, Baker... Bryce Young, this is what it's starting to look like in his case. These guys, some of them are really accurate with the ball, but their stature doesn't allow them to have success. You know, the physicality of the game. These are gladiators. And when you watch Will Levis all of a sudden just start taking snaps for Tennessee, you're like, hey, why the fuck wasn't this guy tariffed the top 10? What did they miss? Look at him. Right? And another thing, too, these owners just stop getting involved. You're ruining your fucking franchise. Because the rumor was that Bryce Young wasn't going to be the number one pick. The head coach and general manager wanted C.J. Stroud. But the owner got involved and said, we're going to take Bryce Young. And that's what they're stuck with now. And you can see the difference. Now, Shroud did get drafted into a way better um, spot <laughs> with the defense, the coach, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Damian Pierce, better defense, right? 
So sometimes it is all about spots. You know, if CJ Stroud did go number one, maybe he wouldn't be as flourishing, but he might look more like the number one pick than Bryce Young is looking. So the college game is not doing him any favors by sending him these quarterbacks, sending him these light, more physical, more, I mean, excuse me, more agile offensive linemen either to protect because that's another thing that's happening too. Is the offensive linemen are not big boys anymore. They're more agile guys that can get into space with speed. But they're getting fucking destroyed by the Miles Garretts of the world. And the TJ Watts and the Max Crosbys. And, right? So it's really, you know, defense is really winning out in the NFL right now. The product in a nutshell just kind of fucking sucks. But here we are. I'm a fiend for it. Just like everybody else. Let's move it over to the kids though. Good little segue when you're talking about college and the game and how it transitioned into NFL. College football playoff is nuts. We're going to take a little breather and we'll come back to that. Talk about the rankings. Talk about Heisman odds real quick. Talk about, you know, the different scenarios and why the fuck are certain teams ranked where they're at. Plus Money Pod, be right back. So the college football playoffs are right around the corner, conference championship games, and we have the rankings that have been coming out by the selection committee. Ohio State number one, six and zero. Georgia going for a three-peat, six and zero. Michigan six and zero. Florida State seven and zero. Washington six and zero, and I don't even know how Washington's above Michigan. When you think about their resume, beating Oregon and beating USC, well, whatever. Oregon six at five and one. Texas five and one. Alabama six and zero. And Mississippi five and one. Penn State rounding up the top ten at five and one with a huge game versus Michigan in Happy Valley on Saturday, Big Ten noon. This is going to be Michigan's first fucking test, and I think the real reason why they have such a weak schedule this year this is the weakest that I've ever seen in a long ass time and I think it's because they knew what was going to happen with the merger between conferences it was going to be their last major shot going at a clean run straight through get into Ohio State going through them and get into the natty so Say what you want about their schedule. They are a good team. Should they be ranked at third on what I've been seeing on paper? No. They haven't even been blowing teams out. and They've been some shitty-ass fucking schedules. Shitty-ass scheduled games. They haven't been covering too many of them, especially early on. Um, so, whew, it's going to be a tough test. I don't like when a team like Michigan, has to just turn it on and play a good team all of a sudden after playing such shitty ones. You see this in baseball a lot when a team hammers through a division all season, gets to the postseason, and gets their ass handed to them. Or like PSG in soccer, where they run through their fucking league and get to the Champions League group stage and knockout rounds and then get their fucking asses handed to them. Because it's hard to just turn it on as a club, especially when the level of competition hasn't been a Penn State all season. 
there's something to be learned from those games when you go through those battles. They haven't been in a dogfight yet. So that bothers me about this matchup with Penn State. Penn State's been in a couple dogfights, especially versus Ohio State. So you're going to think they're going to learn from those mistakes. But they got some negative history against them. I can't trust head coach Franklin for Penn State. He's like 1-5 in all-time versus top 10 opponents, top 5 opponents or something. He's like 1-8 in f- all-time versus Michigan and Ohio State or something like that. It's just like very poor record in big spots. And another thing, too, is who's got the better quarterback? J.J. McCarthy, definitely better than the rookie on the other side, even though the rookie might have a more efficient, longer career later in life. J.J.'s that guy right now. So I just want to damper expectations because I think a field goal might be too much. Because Michigan hasn't been covering. They haven't been in many dogfights. And you could get four and a half with Penn State. That might be worth a play. That might be worth a play. Just because I'm going to bet against the fact that Michigan can't just turn on the switch. And it will be a close game. And it will come down to the fourth quarter. Especially Penn State learning from their mistakes against Ohio State. They're going to be a little bit more prepared for this one. Home, it's going to be rocking. Florida State is an interesting team. As I look at them here at 7-0. and Their win early in the season has carried them all the way. I mean, they haven't lost, and they're kind of holding on to their head on that win. They'll win their conference, and they'll still be there. Travis Davis, Heisman candidate, they're playing good. They're kind of like a dark, sneaky horse that everybody can beat each other up, and they might just come out on top at the end. Uh, that's a team that I'm looking at to actually do it. They got a point differential of 22.6, which is not bad. That's up there with the top five teams. And then I'm looking at Washington. Um, what's not to love? Star quarterback, star quarterbacks win games in college. And um, beating Oregon, who some people in the nation think that they're the best fucking team. I don't see it because I can't trust Bo Nix in a big, big, big game. But Michael Penix in Washington, they beat him already. Beat down Caleb Williams. Sent him to the bleachers to cry. <laughs> and what's not to love about this team? How how could you leave them out if they go have an undefeated season? And now we're, we got Georgia going for a three-peat. There's no way you're going to leave a three-peat team out, damn it. I, you know what I mean? Granted, they're going to have to play Alabama in the SEC championship game, more than likely. And when it comes down to that game, if Alabama beats them and Georgia has one loss, and Michigan loses to Penn State, but they beat Ohio State, and they have one loss. And let's say Washington does lose in the conference championship game in the Pac-10, 12. And they got one loss. That makes Florida State number one, undefeated. With all these one-loss teams, who's going to get in? OSU will have one loss. Georgia, one loss. Bama, one loss. State, Michigan, one loss. Penn State would have one loss at that point, maybe. Who gets in? It's truly set up to be absolutely bonkers if some shit hits the fan. Now, if they get two or three of these teams that do run the table, it makes it way easier. 
because they're going to be undefeated. They'll win their conferences. There'll be no questions asked. You're going to say, bam, Georgia's in. Bam, Michigan's in. Bam, for, and, and so on. So it's really interesting. Super, super fucking interesting this year in college in college football. Um, real quick, while I bring up the book for you, so I can um, just want to check a couple things right now on the future odds. Ah, not that. I didn't want to click that. Sorry, excuse me. College football. Some action going on. Miami 7 nothing on Akron. Okay, wins, futures. Bam. Champion, Florida State plus 600. Michigan is a short shot at plus 220, but the third... They're third on the ranking. Oregon plus 1,000. Alabama plus 800, which is probably decent value because if they beat Georgia, they probably might get in. But I think Alabama's got something to worry about this weekend against Kentucky. So um, Washington plus 1,200. Texas plus 1,500. Penn State plus 10,000 odds. That's really about where I would stop, honestly. I can't see anybody down there. I think Florida State is posing the best value at plus 600. And the books know that they got the easiest road probably to get into the playoff at this point as well. Uh, so that's where I would be. We can go to awards real quick. Heisman Trophy. Jordan Travis plus 850. I think J.J. McCarthy poses good value at plus 850. If he goes and blazes through Ohio State and goes all the way to the national championship, this is his award. Because it's going to be in dramatic fashion. Um. Yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I'm at with college. That's where I'm at with college right now. Moving on, NBA tipping off briefly. A couple things that I notice. The Nuggets are fucking sick. Joker is amazing, and there's everybody else. That's basically what I see. I need more sample sizing out of the Suns. Bradley Beal's coming back today, his first game. But I need to see more. Uh, it's just been... Uh, they don't have... Nurkic is not stopping Joker. And then Ant, Aaron Gordon poses such a mismatch for every team in the NBA because he's such a fucking hybrid. He's like baby LeBron at power forward. He's such a hybrid physical beast. And he stretches the floor. He gets 8 to 12 boards... 8 to 12 points, I mean, he gets like 12 points, 8 boards, 20 points, 8 boards, couple threes, but the way that he plays the game at that position allows Joker to be free because he's physical out there, and not a lot of teams can match up with him. The Nuggets are definitely special right now. The Suns could have the star power, I gotta see it, but really to stop Joker, you need an offensive fucking menace to really go at that guy and uh, he gets a lot of people into foul trouble anyway i don't see anybody really stopping him i don't i don't the warriors look old in my opinion lakers look old even though lebron is going off i don't think they have enough around them it's the suns or nothing in the west and suns i mean the suns to beat them in the west and, and in the east to meet them there i think there's only three teams that i notice right now you got Boston, the Knicks, and if Milwaukee can get their shit together. I can't see Atlanta doing it. They're just not mature enough. 
something about them in a four game, seven game series late in the year. <sighs> I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I, I just don't trust their roster head to toe. And the Magic have a lot of potential, but that's all it is right now until it turns into something. Because they've been in some spots late fourth quarters, and they look like a young team in those moments. So finishing those games is something. The Knicks, the Knicks are good. That's a good team. They got a lot of talent in different positions, a bench, and I'm interested to see how far they can go. They might make the trade for Joel Embiid, but the Sixers look pretty good too, but I, the same old shit, you know what I mean? They didn't improve. They might make another splash. They might trade Embiid. Who knows where they're at by then? The trade deadline. They're, you know, if the big man goes down, they're almost fucked at that point. So I really only see Boston, the Knicks, and if Milwaukee gets their shit together with the two superstars. But tra- right when that trade happened, I didn't think it was right for Milwaukee. I did not think it was right for Milwaukee. You don't trade a guy like Drew Holiday that's going to play such amazing defense, leadership, run the point guard position unselfishly for instant offense in Damian Lillard. Because every point guard coming back at you now is dropping 30 right at you. And the defensive loss that the Bucks took in that deal was massive. And they're paying the price right now. You're seeing them try to work it out. When you come up against a team like Boston in the playoffs, they're going to stretch them out very thin. They're not going to have that defensive. They're not going to have that defensive, that perimeter defense to even slow down anything. The Cavs are pretty good. I just don't think it's, uh, you know, making the moves that they made with Max Struess and a couple of these shooters. Um, We'll see come we'll see come playoffs, but watching them right now, they're still trying to gel. They hit some injuries early. They're not really healthy, but I don't think they're good enough to get through like a team like Boston with the superstars that they got. Um, either way, whoever's coming out the East is going to get smacked by the Joker and the Nuggets anyway. And that's my take on the NBA already. Um, looking at looking at. Wemby, let's talk about him for a little bit. Fucking guy's a monster. I thought I'd never see something like this. The dude is insane. He's just pulling up like he's Steph Curry. He's got Steph Curry mentality to shoot the ball rock. He kind of dribbles and moves like Kevin Durant. He blocks shit like Anthony Davis. And he can dribble like Giannis. Or like KD, let's say. It's truly fucking remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Um, guy, uh, it's it's nuts. He's gonna shatter. Man, just as the league is like losing LeBron, they get Wemby. It's absolutely insane how where this guy just got it came from. But he's something to watch. Absolutely something to watch. I love just when he's on TV. You're just like, wow. Your eyes are kind of like, what the fuck. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at with the NBA. NHL, puck drop. Vegas is fucking everybody up. They're the best team in the league. They smashed who I thought at the time was the second best team in the league. The Avalanche, 7-1. to 
And the Avs are still really good. I still want to say they are the second best team in the league. And I'll throw Boston in there as the third. A couple teams that are surprising. The LA Kings scoring a ton of fucking goals. The Red Rings have been hanging around. The Rangers are still pretty good. Um, other than that, there's a lot of, you know, mediocre teams. Teams fighting. Teams trying to figure it out still. Um, the Penguins are in that mix. The Hurricanes. The Capitals. The Flames. A lot of these teams, the the Predators, they're all in this mix of Winnipeg. They're all in this mix to just kind of, like, figure it out. Um, nobody's really standing out and as far as any of those teams. You know, you got the Islanders and the Stars play a little bit more defense than anybody else and a couple of these other teams. But other than that, VGK is fucking smashing people's skulls. Now, that might... <laughs> not be the best thing because in hockey normally you want to go into the season hot not be hot all year and then have expectations and cool off or not meet them but man they're playing great it's their defense every game they have 40 hits 50 hits they're smashing people they score four or five goals a game call it a day very tough to beat they're riding this wave right now of momentum dating you know from last year the style of play, the physical play, and it's really getting the best of everybody. So defensively and offensively, they're getting both both things done. The Avs are doing it too. It just would it, maybe they were just flat that game. Not a hundred percent sure what it was, but the Avs also have been playing really good defense, really good offense. Boston Bruins, same shit. Every game is usually under six six and a half goals. They really play solid defense. They smother their opponents. David Pasternak, goal scorer. And, you know, you're going to rely a lot on Allmark to just make saves in between the pipes. Every game is fucking under six and a half for the most part. The New Jersey Devils are a team that score a lot of goals. They get some star power. Most of their games do end up over six and a half. I feel like they've been, um, I I think they're like nine and two to the over. Jack Hughes scoring a lot of goals. He took a vicious hit into the boards the other the other weekend. I don't know if he played the other day. And you know, they're they're a team that scores a lot of goals. We'll see where they kind of end up towards towards later in the year. But the puck is back. It's great. The Red Wings with the Brinkat are scoring a lot. They're competing in more games. And uh they're one of the only teams to beat the Bruins in regulation. So Texas, I mean, not the Texas, I was going to say the Texas fucking Rangers. The New York Rangers, same same lineup, same cats, just running it back. Zinbanijan, I love saying that name. It's probably one of the best names to say in fucking all of sports. Zinbanijan. And um, Pereiran and these guys, you know, was just stirking and been between the pipes. They're going to be there later in the year. You already know that. They're going to make a move at the deadline. They're going to make a splash for a star. Uh, and they're going to make a run again. So Puck is interesting, but definitely got to tip it to VGK right now. Let's look at that. Let's look at odds there. Uh, one thing about the island, um, not the, the Oilers, Connor McDavid and company, these guys are getting their asses handed to them. Their defense sucks. Something definitely to note. Definitely to note. Maple Leafs, pretty decent squad. A lot of people are on them as far as the futures go. They think they might be, this might be their year. 
They're plus 1,100. I just can't get there. I got to see more defensively. VGK is your front runner for the NHL Stanley Cup. Again, plus 700. Boston Bruins plus 750. The Avalanche plus 800. Those are the three teams that I said are the best teams in the league. Carolina Hurricanes plus 800. I really don't agree with that one. New Jersey Devils plus 1,000. Toronto Maple Leafs plus 1,100. Oh, is a dark horse? Phew, if I shoot down the list here, I mean, the Los Angeles Kings have been scoring a lot of fucking goals. Nobody really watches their hockey games at 10.30 at night if you're on the East Coast, but this team is a little bit of a dark horse. They made the playoffs last year, if I'm not mistaken, and they score a ton of goals right now. They're flying high, plus 1,600. Um... Nobody really down the list here that I'm too interested in when you're looking at the Ducks, the Coyotes, the Blues, plus 8,000. The Sabres, plus 7,000. Not really interested in too many of these teams. Could make a case for the Red Rings. Don't want to. Um, and, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll stop it there. Actually, there is one. Vancouver Canucks, plus 2,500. That kind of pops out at me, um, revamping their team a little bit. So we discussed thus far a little bit of Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou fight. Dove into the NFL briefly. Scratched the surface of the NBA, NHL, college football playoff. I feel like that might be a good time to stop the show. Um, it was a pretty good one in my opinion. Tell me what you guys think. Leave some feedback. Share, like, subscribe, retweet, re-X. And I hope we can get more of these out to you guys. Especially before um, we get action, before the fights, weekends, and stuff like that. So I can get you guys some picks, predictions, and make some cash. This is the Plus Money Pod, signing off. Ciao. Thank you.